sir. She's she's the uh sir sir. She's she's the uh sir. Do you need like is this one of those things where I have to like officially tell you it's okay to start? No, I started already. You've been interviewed by like a real person. When a real person, uh, like a reporter type person, interviews you, they got to say that, and it's really, it's kind of fun. It's, it's very formal. You go, so do you, Dan Benjamin, hereby grant me permission for all rights hereunto and thus unwith to use your voice and likeness, and you say, I do. So I, I hereunto, you know what I'm saying? How's everything going out there? Are you worried about me? I'm worried about you, Dan Benjamin. A little bit I'm worried, worried about, about your, bang, your bangy tooth. I'm worried about your bangy house. I'm worried about all your bangies. Stuff. I'm worried about you, Dan Benjamin. Where you been? You're what? Look, it's 11:30 in San Francisco. Yeah. No, I don't care. You know, I got nowhere to be. I just, I just, I don't like this rep that I have of being the one who's like never here. That's that's the only thing. Well, actually, frankly, I don't care. But you know, I should worry about it. People Did don't you sign- say that about you, as far as you know. Well, a lot of people are going to say, you know, Dan has his ball, and Merlin's out running around with his rubber bands, doing whatever the hell he does. <laughs> right. We're all very, we're very confused about what what he does. You know, I shaved. I just for the show? Just just look, for this? No, that's not going to happen. I, I, look, I look fantastic. My daughter loves me. Um, Did you have a full beard or just a scruffy thing? I don't get a, I don't get a full beard. It's, it's like, you know, like back hair, you know, or something. Or it's only going to go so far, but it's just gross. And, but nobody's offered me any money in two days. Usually a lot of people, people offer me money on the street constantly. Oh, because, because you have a... Did you really... Yeah. Was it that long? Was it a, like a wispy, like a ZZ Top thing? I don't think it's a length issue, you know? It's like they say with, you know, penises and stuff. It's, it's really... It's just how bad it looks. And I, I look completely homeless. And I wear this little, like, skull cap thing. Um, and I guess I got crazy eyes. I'm not sure. But I'm sitting there on a, you know, on a MacBook Air typing. I told you these stories, right? You know, this, you know, this actually does happen, right? What's that? You're sitting there with the MacBook Air? I'm sitting there with the MacBook Air typing, and this is, I'll give you one example, my favorite one of these, which is two or three months ago. I'm sitting there, I'm sitting outside, I'm typing because I like to be outside. I like to get away from this disgusting room that I'm in right now. And uh, this guy Is that the I've one with the little Buddha and all the stuff on your desk? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got my tea, I got my compass, um, iPad stand, I got my tea. Your, your metaphorical compass? <sighs> uh, I think it's compass who makes it. This is my, got my scotch tape. My Buddha. Uh, I got some Excedrin. Uh, I got a key drive. And I got an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy comes up to me and he's, you know, you, you know, you get to know people in your hood. When you don't live in the suburbs, you see people. And so this guy, he's, he's this drunk guy, he's always walking, around, walking his dog around. And the drunk guy comes up to me and for the first time, in months we've seen each other, we've never acknowledged each other, he walks up to me and he goes, You have a home. So the drunk, the drunk guy asks you if you have a home. Oh, he's drunk as hell. His dog looked fine. The dog looked a little worried about him, to be honest. <laughs> he goes, you got a home. And San Francisco, so you don't answer someone when they talk to you. Unless it's somebody, you know, that you want to argue with. That's well, kind of well, is that a, just an unspoken rule that everybody knows or what? Well, um, the, the first level, you know, like you, you call up Dell or something, and you get, you get somebody uh, <laughs> named, named Jim. All right. In, in, uh, who, who loves volleyball and will be happy to be helping you with your problem. The first level support for crazies is just to ignore them. That's like, that's basic, that's your basic Dell first level support for crazies. You got a home. <laughs> and you can't see my expression, but imagine me just very, very slightly smiling a little bit, raising one eye a little more open and making a very slight upward nodding motion. 
Where where you live? I said, <clears throat> took off my headphones, took out the emotics, my costly headphones, <laughs> and I closed my laptop lid. And I said, um, I I do. I live uh, where 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 do you live? I said, I live near here, sir, with my family. He says, You live in, in the woods? <laughs> and I said, No, I don't. And he goes, Why don't you go home? And I'm like, and I'm like, sir, I'm typing. I don't know why I'm telling you this. Now, of course, now already I've lost because now I'm talking. Yeah. Right. Now it's been escalated to second level crazy support. And I'm trying to just get out of this, you know, so my daughter can like see me at graduation. Right. And I'm, at this point now, I'm just, I'm just trying to, you know, keep it, keep it low key and listen. Right. That's, that's what we call it here. Keep it low key and listen. <laughs> and uh, he, he takes a crumpled $5 bill and thrusts it at oh, me. Oh, you're going to be kidding. There. And I said, and then I, I switched over a little bit and I was like, oh, that is, really super nice of you but i'm actually sitting here um writing a book on a really expensive computer and that's so super nice of you but um actually go take it take it and go go wherever you go and i I just i didn't want to be i almost took it because you know that's the right thing to do if somebody if somebody offers you a coffee you don't say you you take the goddamn coffee and say you got any cream right now you both you've both gotten it's a transaction you've both done something nice right that's that. This is true. You got. You should just say thank you. But I, I didn't feel right about it because his dog looked like he needed it. And I, it happens more often than you would think. And so I shaved because I had to go to dinner the other night at somebody's house. And so I shaved, and uh, I look uh, about forty years younger. <laughs> and yeah, and now people ask me for money. So it's that four-hour work week thing. It's really working out for me. I think. You do look different when you shave. I've seen pictures of you. You know, with I look astonishingly different. Yeah. I look. Because I have I have pretty good bones as faces go, and I I it's all completely lost in this in this pubic fuzz that I have, and like <laughs> I think it makes me look sallow, and um, I'm kind of roomy and you know what I might be homeless. I what, is, could, what was this it, might be maybe what you were wearing? Were you wearing you know, it's like always uh, what I'm wearing? I I'm always wearing more clothes than I need because I get I like to be cozy and take off layers if I want. You know. So, so listen, give me an idea of what you have on on a regular day. Okay. Uh, well, I've recently retired Lucky Shirt. Uh, I, I get Lucky Shirt snuck in maybe twice or three times a month when my wife's out of the house. Lucky Shirt is a shirt I've had since I worked at Adaptive Path. I was cold one day and I bought a shirt. And it, it, it's, it's literally, it, it looks like I've been in a shark attack. <laughs> like seriously, like the back of the sleeves to, between the cuff and the shoulder is wide open. It's ripped entirely open because it's just <laughs> rotted open on both sides. Um, the bottom, it, it looks like... Um, it looks like some kind of mindless eating machine has been like very slowly, like something like a cross between a walrus and a shark has just been chewing on it for like about a month. And do you wear and this on like where people can see it? Or is it under, under a sweater. Okay. Under a sweater. Okay. That's lucky shirt. <laughs> um, but I'll wear a lucky shirt. And like I've got I have six pairs of Levi's 501s in slightly different degrees of fading. 3330. Thank you, Focalin. And uh, I wear a belt. And then I, I usually tuck in a, a white American Apparel t-shirt. I'll wear something like lucky shirt or another collar shirt, maybe a sweater over that. I wear a, uh, a Scotty vest occasionally. Like Scotty from Star Trek? Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. It, it, believe me, it does not have enough power on any level. <laughs> it's, got a, it's got 119 pockets. Uh, I discover three to nine pockets a week. Some of them have other Scotty vests in them. <laughs> and over that, I wear a marmot uh, rain jacket a lot of the time with a hood, which is a very light shell that I wear. And then I wear a skull cap and I look insane. 
and I skulk around with a with a with a really nice um, uh, Tom Bin brain bag backpack. <clears throat> Is this gonna be one of those episodes where we talk about what's in our bag? We should talk about what's in our bag. What's in your bag, Dan Benjamin? Uh, very little. Yeah. What'd you eat? Uh, I had a couple of hot dogs and a salad. Hot dog, no bun. Yeah, no bun. No condiments either. You avoid condiments because they got the sugar, right? No, no, I use mustard. A lot of mustard. A lot of yellow mustard. Hmm. Sometimes hmm. a little ketchup on there, sure. Hmm. Hmm. Ketchup see, has for- sugar in it, I guess. Yeah. Well, see, for me, the uh, when I did the Atkins, that make-believe induction thing where you can't have any sugar at all, that was one hard thing. Uh, when I, uh, it was hard to not eat potatoes, but it was really hard to not eat potatoes with ketchup because you can't have ketchup either. I just had uh, three pieces of fried chicken. Just now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the time where you said, okay, da da da, it'll be just a little bit later, I yeah. went, I went to Paulette and I got my three pieces of chicken she gives me. She works for the Colonel. I <laughs> mm, got a, I got a breast and two thighs and my insulin is completely off the charts right now. Oh yeah. You're spiking like crazy. I can feel it. Yeah. You're yeah. spiking like crazy right now. No, I can feel it. My hemorrhoids twitching. <laughs> and not in a good way. I mean, not in that way. It's raining already, so I can't even count on that anymore. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to avoid the FU because I know it's becoming too much on your other shows. I really liked that show you did with Marco the other day. I thought it was really good. Yeah, he's a sharp guy. Isn't he? This is a show you do called Build and Analyze. You know, this is called Synergy, by the way. Okay. Mm-hmm. This, show this, you mean, this show is called Synergy? That's right. That's right. That's like when you have Arnold Drummond going, hello, Larry. Same deal. Dr- you mean Drummond from Different Strokes? That's right. Mm-hmm. Did you know that's a spinoff? That's a spinoff of uh, Facts of Life. Hello, hello, Larry. Did you yeah. know that? Yeah. Yeah. Facts of Life. So Arnold Drummond, uh, Different Strokes was a spinoff of Facts of Life. And then Hello, Larry. The short-lived Hello, Larry was a spinoff of that. You mean Larry Shandling? Hmm? No, I think you're thinking of highlights. <laughs> that's a few right there. I like Shanley. <laughs> um, uh, it was really good for lots of reasons. And I guess we shouldn't get into too much FU from other shows. But I think it is nice that uh, I like your other shows and I listen to them. And Marco did it. Marco said a, really, a, lot, a lot of really smart things. I want to talk about, kind of want to talk about that, that, that uh, patent dealy, but. With not, the, the Lodzis patent? Well, thing? not in the way other people are talking about, because other people are talking about it smarter than I ever could. But um, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. We, sh- we, should, we should talk about your teeth. But I just thought it was really interesting. That the way he brought it up was extremely sensible. He basically said, look, like in terms of just reality, it's just cheaper to pay this. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it's wrong. It's so interesting, though, because so many people I know who are iOS developers are really tightly wound mm. and very highly principled. I, that's a huge, uh, ridiculous, unverifiable stereotype that's true. No, I think it is totally true. I think it's safe to say, in general, a lot of developers right. are tightly wound. Like if you like move their toothbrush, like you hear about it. Like yeah. they notice things and they are like, listen, to, listen, Marco's off his nut. You hear him talk about like, or was him or Syracuse talking about getting the sticker on the car? Oh, That's yeah. Marco. <laughs> like he's, it hates the idea that someone would put the, the inspection or the uh, license plate sticker on his car. Right, that he wouldn't be allowed to put it off. Yeah. And you know that he's going to stare at that for years to come. It's slightly <laughs> askew, slightly off, you know, off center or whatever. Marco, and he's got to look at it every day. He's got to see come it. to bed. I can't, Tiff. The sticker. The sticker. Um, <laughs> I better make coffee. Um, I thought it was just super interesting, though, because it's, uh, this, is, this shouldn't be the topic. You cut all this out. But I, I just thought it was – it really got me thinking, though. It's, on the one hand, it got me thinking, wow, this is really 
you wonder if it's the thin end of the wedge in some way. So in a, in a nut, there's this crazy uh, company, not this crazy company, there's this company that bought some patents and basically they're good at suing people, at threatening to sue and then following up by suing people apparently. That's, and so, you know. So an, an app that uses in-app purchase. That's right. That's right. And, and they apparently are doing this at random. They're, they're picking into very small indie type shops that have one iOS app and they're, basically threatening to sue them or, or wanting to collect from them. I was intrigued, though, when, when he mentioned the Peacock guy. Is that what it's called, Peacock? Yeah, it's John Gruber's favorite app in the whole world. Yeah, I know. I, I don't. John's got really bad taste in apps a lot of the time. Nothing against Peacock, but I've bought a lot of the stuff that he liked, and it was really stupid, just for what it's worth. I like John a lot, but like that eucalyptus, really? That's your idea of a good book reader? I mean, nothing against eucalyptus, but it's, <laughs> it's no stanza. You know, I'm just saying. <laughs> it's no iBooks. <laughs> It's like, ah, but the page, uh, God, he's got a lot of problems. Do you know that? Do you know John's got a lot of problems? Do you think he's tightly wound? Oh, brother, is he tightly wound. He's tightly wound. And he, that BB edit, I don't understand how he looks at BB edit. It's like Emacs. You just look at him, there's just all this stuff. It just doesn't even make any sense to me. Yeah, he's got, he's got really bad taste in a lot of things, except he's got, he's got taste in a few things that matter. But, you know, I don't think he listens to this podcast, so that shows he's got a lot of problems. But I, I thought that was really interesting because, um, well, one thing I wondered immediately was when he mentioned the Peacock was a $10 app, I wonder if any of the targeting on this, I wonder if they scraped a whole bunch of data and sat there in oh, right. Excel for the PC and, and went, um, hmm, who appears to be a one-person shop that has one or two apps and charges over $5? Because they're much more likely to have it than Johnny Fart app, you know? Johnny Fart app can fold, right? He's probably, you kidding? The revenue you make from Johnny Fart app? <laughs> Oh, you know, actually, you know, really, when that came out for the iPad, the Johnny, Johnny Fart app uh, HD, God, that was amazing. <laughs> so what, what, I, what do you want to talk about relating to the, the thing, the patent hmm. thing? Your, name's, your name is Dan? Hmm. I don't know. We should talk about your bangy tooth. I just thought that was interesting because... Uh, it, well, you it, said it, you it, wanted to talk about it in a different way, and you have... Well, in the, way of, in the way of, well, first of all, I think it's very interesting that a group of people that I perceive as being very... Um, I don't know. I don't say tightly wound, but seriously, the, a lot of the people I know who are iOS developers are very. Uh, it sounds silly, but they're very. A lot of them are, that I know are very careful thinkers. Uh, maybe a little bit. I don't want to say like OCD related, but they they are very. They're very. A lot of my my friends who do this stuff, they're they strike me as being very principled people, and the kind of people who, you know, have put up with a lot with this iOS store stuff, but they've made their peace with it, and it's a good business and things like that. But this is the kind of thing that. It's going to be challenging to a lot of people, even taking, all, taking away the financial stuff, which you can't take away. I mean, the threat of a lawsuit is just an awful thing for anybody to have to deal with. Because you're, you're dealing with a bully who wants to be a bully. And that's no fun. You know what I mean? That's just that's not going to turn out great. It isn't like somebody going, oh, you offended my daughter's honor and now we have to go duel. Like this is somebody who is systematically – let's just also be clear. When you say troll, I don't take that to mean troll in the sense of like hacker news comments – or 4chan. I think that's troll in the sense of the three Billy Goats growth. Right. You have to pay your toll to the troll to go over the bridge. That's, that, it's, that gets an old school troll. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and that, and he was right. It is like the mob. And it's just, it was interesting because I was a little bit, I guess once he said it, I wasn't surprised or I, I rethought my surprise. It makes sense that he would say that because, you know, what's the cost of doing business? There's, of course, the part of me, the, the weak brain part of me that thinks, well, is that the thin end of the wedge, though? If, if a bunch of people, if, if 15 people, if 20 people pay the whatever 0.5-something percent to these guys, 
well, boy, that's a really, I don't want to get a slippery slope logical error or whatever, but I mean, that's a really bad precedent to set that you're okay paying extortion. You know, one of the few things I agreed with about American policy over the years is trying, is not dealing with terrorists. Right. You know, it's one thing, I guess, if you live in like Nicaragua or what's Mexico, like one of the countries where there's a lot of kidnapping. Like if it's your kid, you're going to pay the money. You want the kid back. You're not going to go to the local police and ask them to go get it. You're not going to get a lot of help. You're going to pay. Because again, it's more trouble and you really want that kid. But I mean, how many, once you, like the classic example is extortion, where once you pay somebody extortion once, it's game over. Because you've shown that that's enough of a problem to you that you will succumb. And so you'll always be paying extortion for the rest of your life. You know, it's the reason that uh, Thomas wants to get, be faster than Spencer to get to Sir Topham Hat to tell him about Hero. Because if Spencer gets there first, you know. But then once Spencer gets there, once uh, Thomas gets there, he finds out Sir Topham Hat knows that Hero was the master of the railway. And so he never had to feel bad in the first place. It's a really a, it's a Buddhist parable in a lot of ways. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how it shakes out because it's, I have to wonder if that will open the door. I mean, Apple at this point, from the way Marco talks about it, it sounds like Apple would be very unlikely to intervene. And in fact, again, to, to hear, to hear a discussion of this, see also the rest of the internet, but also, uh, you guys covered <laughs> it really well in that last build and, um, build and analyze, right? Yeah. And, uh, but I, the way that uh, I guess Adam Angst described it via Marco, you know, it's like you can't, you can't even settle with them because you'd be breaking the terms of the agreement with Apple. Is that accurate? Yeah. They, there's some kind of agreement that you, that you as an iOS developer must, uh, uh consent to agree to, to it's have per- your app a, in the app store. It's a perfect extortion machine because you're, you're screwed no matter what. And like Marco said, charging that little quote unquote. You know, it's not like they're asking for half your revenue, but still, it, it's enough that it gets your attention, but it's not too much that you're either going to shut down. You know, the mob doesn't work if every bakery shuts down. They want you to be in business. They want you to be in business and paying just them. Yeah. Anyway, I wonder what happens when we get five of these. At some point, it seems like Apple would have to, just to, not even to just protect the developers, because obviously they could give a throw about their develop, developers, but I wonder what they would do to protect their platform, because that, I would perceive that as a serious threat. You know, that's, that's the problem with growth. You know, you make yourself a target, I guess. I don't know. It's a little wandering, Dan. The re- reason I think it's interesting here is because um, I wonder what's going through a lot of those people's minds right now, those developers. Going back to the fear thing, as always. I mean... Like, do you think this would spook them and make them say, oh, man, I don't know if I want to build my app or I'm not going to have in-app purchase in my app now, if that's for sure. Well, on any number of levels, sure. But I mean, the way he's describing it, it sounds like the patent basically says anytime you click something over a network and money's involved, we should get a cut. Right. I mean, that's the problem of paying something like that is you're, I don't know. I don't know anything about law. I don't know anything about computers. But it just strikes me that you really are capitulating to something that is stupid. It's the equivalent of your bigger brother saying, like, why don't you stop hitting yourself? And then you pay him a quarter and then he keeps hitting hitting you with your own hand. It's like you're, it's a really stupid, baseless suit, except that the system really, the, the legal system, not the system, I sound like one of those crazies in a bar, but the legal system is set up <laughs> for exactly this way. And there's a reason that there's a lot, lot more law firms than, you know, midwives and uh, hypnotists. <laughs> I mean, it's a system that requires a lot of warm bodies to keep running. And all it does is generate more work for all those warm bodies. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think it's super interesting, though, partly because I think a lot of the folks who listen to this are probably at least, 
using some of that stuff, thinking about that stuff, know people who make that stuff. And it's, it's, I think it's always interesting to see a chilling effect, what a chilling effect does um, to a community. You know? I think, you know, obviously the McCarthy era is a, kind of an interesting example. His example of prohibition I thought was really good. You know, something that might start out as intended to be a good idea, but eventually um, ends up working at cross purposes. I mean, San Francisco, nobody shoots movies in San Francisco anymore yeah. because it's so costly to do that here. At one point, it made sense to say, hey, look, if you want to come to San Francisco and make, you know, Bullet again, it's going to cost you dough. But now everybody goes to Vancouver because that's the path of least resistance. In other words, our extortion was not worth paying. I mean, it's one of the most photogenic, telegenic cities in the world for years. Think about all the Hitchcock movies. Think about Vertigo. I mean, San Francisco was like a character in Vertigo, the Bay Area in general, you know? I don't know. I don't like chilling effects. I don't like that stuff. I don't like, I'm just the kind of personality, I should, probably shouldn't say this, but it's not surprising. I just react so poorly to stuff like that. I hate it. I hate dealing with stuff like that. Patents in general or this kind of... Well, I've never been good at dealing with bullies. I mean, I, one reason I think I became a funny guy is, and one reason I, you know, knock on wood, haven't gotten my ass kicked, is like I knew how to deal with bully, bullies through humor. But, you know, anything involving the legal system, there's that old cliche about, you know, legal system where you enter as a pig and exit as a sausage. <laughs> you know? Do you know what I mean? Like you go in because of your greed or because of your um, <laughs> ego, a pig, effectively, and you just come out like a sausage with debt, basically. I don't know. I think that stuff's scary. And I think people count on that fear when they try to create an industry like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's all it really takes. Yeah, I don't know. This episode of Back to Work is brought to you by MailChimp.com, which lets you be your own publisher. They have a cool feature. It's called RSS to Email. And it lets you automatically send newsletters whenever you update your blog or any other RSS feed. Now, some people prefer to get their news via email instead of checking blogs or using an RSS reader. Well, with this feature, you can publish your content once and send it in an email to all of your subscribers without even thinking about it. There are tons of great websites that use this feature. GigaOM, All Things D, Rewrite Web, and Smashing Magazine. They all use it, and you can too. Go check it out at MailChimp.com. And thanks very much to them for making this show possible. I think it messes with the ecosystem. I mean, it, it's, you know, we, you work really hard as uh, Apple has done to create a great place for people to create apps. And in a lot of ways, it's a market run kind of thing. People buy the apps that they like and it's not so much Apple controlling that. It's like a free system in a lot of ways. But then you have stuff like this. It's like this invisible tax that you didn't know was there. It all mm -hmm. of a sudden is there. And you it, it may, you know, Marco's response was that he would he would just pay it because it's you know, it's not that much money. Mm -hmm. But if he was going to be shut down or if there was a problem with the app or we were talking later about the fact that Mac OS, the new version of Mac OS may have a feature that's similar to Instapaper, but he, it, it's not really a threat from his standpoint. But he was saying if one day they did make something that was exactly like Instapaper in every way, then he would just build another app. Yeah, I, I thought his response on that was actually quite good and it was it was kind of what i i don't say what i expected him to say but but given the half-assedness of apple's you know limp-wristed forays into doing things with safari with rss i mean it's like oh god it's never been clear like 
how uninterested they are in these apps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's mind boggling. No, I think he's right. Well, he and, and I'll be John Syracuse for a second. John C. Rakusa for a second. There's no Z in that. Did you know that? That's right. Mm-hmm. By the way, the funniest line in that whole episode was you talking about how you like to take power away from him. That was funny. <laughs> um, the it was so funny. The um, just be honest. <laughs> We should probably talk about something else. This is probably really boring. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Jim can cut all this out. Um, um, I might want to get Jim's help with the song. <laughs> yeah, he'd love to help. Uh, really? Yeah. Is that, is that in the budget? Oh, yeah. We should talk to him. Right. Yeah. I got everything. I don't like the drums. I don't like the drums. Oh, he'll fix that right now. I hate the drums. I hate the drums. I never feel whiter than when I'm sitting in a <laughs> cafe drinking an espresso, hitting an iPad with my index finger. <laughs> On a fake bass drum. It's going pump, 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 pump. I don't got, I ain't got no John Bonham finger, I'll tell you that. <laughs> anyway, you want to button it up? Yeah, we're about through. Mm. We could, you know, I, I want to talk more, I want to talk about your teeth, but I'm afraid we'll get to, more into meditation and fear. People love, people love that though. They, really? I, are you, I'm worried we're beating it to death. Are we beating nah, it to death? Yeah, we can, we can avoid talking about it. Well, I, no, because there's actually, I want to talk about that Alan Watt stuff. I want to talk about your banging tooth. I think there's lots of good stuff to talk about, but uh, I got we've, nothing. So we've yeah. gotten a lot of, we've gotten a lot of feedback, people who are really interested in the meditation thing, but I don't think we need to do, you know, a whole show about it. Have you told anyone about this yet? I put it on Twitter. I just put it I out saw there it on, on Twitter, Twitter. But have you mentioned it on your shows yet? No, no. I'm waiting for this. Yeah. Tell him. Tell him what you did. I, uh, I, told, I told my wife, and she thinks you're just batshit insane. She, she was, her, her mouth, just her jaw dropped, and she was like, why would he do that? That's what everybody like, says. He's Dan. Well, what did tell him what you did? Okay. Uh, I had a, a lot of my, my teeth, since going on a paleo diet, my teeth have all improved. Uh. They've, they've become very pointy, right? They, they've become pointed, and my leap has increased. So I can just leap, you know, a good three or four uh, stories high and just land right on the victim. Yeah, and, and when, you're, when you're sitting in a bush, you can see that part on the back of their shin that you yeah. need to slice so that they'll, they'll fall down, and you can just jump on them, and you put your back claws on, uh, put your front claws on the shoulders, and you just run in place. Yeah. Yeah. Teeth. So... Uh, They'd gotten a lot. They'd get, you know, they, I guess the places where the dentist may have put a watch, oh, we'll put a watch on that one. That, those watches, they had taken them off. He said, they're not, not a concern, except for one. And there was one that didn't uh, quite come back. And he said, oh, it looked like the early, early cavity, you know, like a me, you know, medium sized thing happening. So I had to go in and get this done. I had to get a filling put in, which nobody likes. Mm-hmm. You don't. You don't want to go get, get dental work done. Who does? So, yeah, no you know, all no, my, cavities. no cavities at all. I got none. You've never had one. Fluoride, fluoride in the water. Boom. Seriously, you've never had one. That's fantastic. I got no, I, I got no poe though. That's my problem. I, that's why I can't have an erection. Cincinnati. <laughs> have you had one? Have you had them before? Have you had fillings before? Oh yeah, yeah. And this is they drill right. Yeah. Oh god damn. So, I've had you know I had a bunch. I I, I don't know how many a handful. Probably, probably better than average, but a few. And you know, I've, I, I don't, I don't like getting, you know, numbed up. It's no fun. And then uh, there's all kinds of issues around that we don't have time for on this show. But one thing was, I knew I had to do some shows 
yesterday and, and today doing basically a whole week's worth of shows in like a day and a half because we've got this move starting. Well, it's already kind of started, but it really, really starts tomorrow morning and we got to get ready. A lot to do. So I knew that if I was numbed up, I wouldn't necessarily be able to do the shows that I had to do. I'd be all numbed up. And there were a few other reasons. And I also thought, well, maybe it would be interesting to, to test this because most people in America have never, you know, most people are freaked out about dentists anyway. I'm not. I've never had a problem with, with a dentist getting in there and doing what he got to do and getting out. So I don't, you know, my wife is one who like the idea of this would be, is horrific to her. But I said, you know, I think I'm going to go in there. I'm not going to get any, any Novocaine or anything like that. I'm just going to go in and, you know, see, what, see how it works, see what happens. Because I knew that if, if it was so bad that I could just say, hey, doc, you know, give me, give me a shot. I could do it. You know, but the option was there if I needed it. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're walking in the woods and, you're, you know, your leg gets caught in a bear trap and you're, like, by yourself in the woods with a bear trap pinning you. It's like I can say, oh, stop, please give me some Novocaine. You know, no big deal. But I, I thought I would try this. I thought I would try getting a cavity drilled and without any kind of painkiller or anything. And uh, so that's what I did. Hmm. How long did it take? I mean, well, first of all, so you sit down, you have some nice small talk. Yeah, the lady's there, and she's, mm-hmm. she's so you're you're going to do this with no uh, no numbing agent then? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. She said, okay. Have you done that before? I said, no. <laughs> I said, okay. Well, if you, much- if you change your mind at any point, you just let the doctor know. We'll take care of you. Mm. And the doctor had already, you know, he he kind of knows. Uh, like it didn't it didn't surprise like he he wasn't shocked because I guess he has patients that want to do this from time to time. So he was he was pretty pretty cool about it. He's a cool guy anyway. And he said, "All right, you know," he said, "if you have any problems, if it's too much for you, raise your hand or make a sound, and I'll I'll give you a break. We can give you a break. And if you need to get numb, you can." I said, "All right." So the option was there. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, you know, the first thing people people say, oh, you're crazy. You must like pain. Well, no, I don't. I, I think I have a very different relationship to pain than most people do, Part of partially because I've been meditating for so long and partially because I've had a number of uh, issues that have created a lot of pain so that I've learned to deal with it. And yeah, the, back, yeah, the back thing for a while, right? Yeah, and I have, I mean, I've, you know, I, sm- I, I seem to smash my fingers periodically and that's <laughs> painful. And I get, I get an epidural to make number two. Yeah, and I think you know we're, we have a culture, uh, and I'm not saying that there there isn't good reason for this, but we have a culture that mm-hmm. teaches us that any kind of pain, uh, physical or emotional, any kind of pain at all is is a bad thing. You should not feel pain. That's what that's very much what I think our society teaches. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that there isn't uh, very very good reason to alleviate pain. In, in many, many cases. I'm not saying that at all. And I'm, I'm thankful that we can do that with the medicine that we have and other techniques. I think that's important. Uh, so I'm not knocking it. And, and if there's a lot of times when people absolutely want relief from pain or need relief from pain in there, and now we have great options for it. But at the same time, the, the flip side of that is that our society says you should never feel pain. And feeling pain is very much a part of the human condition, I think. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying you should go seeking it. Uh, but I think too often people are afraid. We talk about fear on this show, right? Uh, people are afraid of pain when they they may not really know what it's going to be like. And I realize I never knew. I've never 
really felt that like what is it like how bad is it is it is it horrific is it horrific pain is it the kind of pain that i'll have nightmares about for the rest of my life or or is it maybe not that bad so being that this was not you know this was not a a central cavity they weren't going to need to drill like right down into the nerve it was not a root canal or anything like that this was like a medium-sized cavity toward the back side of the tooth he's you know gonna have to take part you know I guess they take a quarter, an eighth of the tooth off, and they drill and whatever. So I said, all right, let's see what happens here. So I, you know, sat down and, you know, was pretty relaxed. And he, he drilled. And when he started drilling, I was like, I was like kind of nervous. I was like, whoa, what is this going to be like? Is this going to hurt? How bad is it going to hurt? Am I going to like jump out of the chair? Am I going to scream? What's going to happen? Uh, and it really, really hurt. But one of the interesting things that I learned about this is uh, that it only, and this may seem obvious, but I didn't really know what to expect. It only hurt when he was actually drilling in certain areas and in a certain way. Like it, it, you would think the whole thing would just be painful. Like if somebody touched a spinning drill to your tooth, that it would be like agony instantly, but it's not. It's only after drilling for a certain amount of time or in a certain way that that's, that's where you get the real pain. But the whole thing was, was pretty darn painful. But it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't that bad. What do you want to know about it? You've never had a tooth drilled at all. But I, I'm not saying I recommend this for everybody, but it, I, I can say I know what it's like to have a tooth drilled without Novocaine. And I'm not sure if it wasn't. A, and so I asked them at, at the end of it, I said, by the way, I said, how, how big of a cavity was that? Is it like a tiny, like real tiny? Because I'm thinking it's like a real tiny little thing. It was a tiny, like it's a really, like, must have been like minuscule. Like it's like a joke cavity. <laughs> Because it did, it wasn't like it was, it hurt, but it wasn't that bad. And it would stop. As soon as he stopped drilling, it would stop. Mm-hmm. So I said, how bad? He said, well, it's a medium-sized cavity. This is like the real deal. He's like, yeah, it was, you know, not major, but it was a cavity. I said, all right. Because I want, you know, I wanted to know if this is like a, like a kid glove cavity or the real thing. But it was very interesting because, you know, I, I think I come from a different perspective than most people. I don't, it's not like I enjoy pain. I don't, uh, but I have a very different but see, relationship. Even, even you feeling the need to say that is emblematic of, of to me, the story got interesting the second that you reminded us how people feel about dentists, where I, the thing is, all you have to do is say dentist and cavity and pe- people are already flying off down this, um, really dark road yeah do you know what i mean i mean yeah. we all have i mean just from watching tv like i've never i've never had knock on wood again so far <laughs> my last trip was pretty bad it was like five five six five do you even know what floss is six six <laughs> i hate the numbers uh, also my dentist he, he he's a carpenter and he makes main cabinets so he, you have to watch this it's like something out of clockwork orange he has this screen that alternates between extremely not funny not funny comics about dentistry alternated with fairly low resolution photographs of a main machine. Wow. He, he built his own main machine. <laughs> I mean, him and Matt Howard are the only people I know. <laughs> so people yeah. in, the, in the chat room were asking, uh, do you think you could have done it without a meditation practice? That's a good question. I mean, I feel like, uh, I feel like meditation helps you understand physical sensation in a different way you're you're in, you accept things in a different way and the whole time i knew 
that it was temporary. Because if you ever had, you have in Merlin, lucky. No, but, but I, no, but this is, it's like getting a shot. I mean, for me, it's getting a shot. My entire childhood, I was, I was in desperate fear. My daughter hates shots now because, you know, you got to get shots when you're a kid. And I think, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, but no, I, I, do, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think the meditation thing is part two. Part two, because I mean, our focus would be to think, oh, that Dan's the meditator. He's the guy who will be able to make himself relax or whatever. But that's not even that's not even the most important part. The far more important part is that you are somebody who thinks like a meditator or thinks like a Buddhist, if you like, which is to say that you've made a practice of trying not to let fear be the thing that makes you decide how you're going to feel. Right. And that, that sounds really kind of probably sounds a little silly, but like I think that's way more important. Like, think about that. I mean, like, somebody who's, who's had lots of drilling and has smelled that smell and heard that sound and been in the seat and had all those experiences, all you need to do is present them with a few of those stimuli, and they're ready for that. I bet you could put it on some kind of a... Uh, like, yeah, like a tape or a video or something. Exactly. Like, like you could, but you could see their... Exactly. You could watch their pulse go up because of that. So I guess I, I don't want to steal your story here, but I, I bet, I bet you that's a big part of it. The, us as kind of, you know, whacker meditators might go, oh, well, that's great because Dan can... That's fine for Dan. <laughs> as, <laughs> as somebody said last week, that's fine for Buddha. Like he, um, he, he... Like Dan... Oh, sure, Dan can go make himself relax because he's like, uh, he's like that guy on the bionic woman who can make his breath stop, you know? Well, the thing to point out is that I went into but that, it. But that's not it. But that's not it. The important part is that you're somebody who's made a practice of not letting fear be the thing that drives how you feel about anything. Well, right? that, that's the goal. And what I realized when I, when I was in there was that I wasn't afraid of the pain because I knew that I'd felt way wor- worse pain than that. I have. And I, I knew that if it was bad, I could say stop and he would stop. And – that took away a lot of the fear, but there was still that that feeling of of uh, I don't I don't think anxiety is not the right word, but it was very much that anticipation kind of fear. Like usually, if somebody's scared of something, like imagine if you know, not in your case maybe, but a lot of people who, for example, don't do a lot of public speaking. For them, there's that feeling of you're going to get up there and and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know anything. You don't know what's going to happen. Maybe maybe that's part of public speaking in general that's maybe a part of it is a good thing but it was that it was i mean i wasn't i I wouldn't i don't want people to think that i went in there in this meditative state and i was like super calm and i was like floating on a cloud and i wasn't i was like oh my god i don't know what this is gonna feel like like this may really hurt i'm kind of not wanting that but at the same time being aware of being as we would say in like a buddhist practice you say well I'll, i'll be present for those feelings and i'm gonna make a decision to not let them and I almost recommend this experience for people just <laughs> kind of see, because because really, I think, again, everything now for a major procedure, like a major dental thing, like if you had to get a root canal or a crown or something, I'm not saying try it for that. Uh, but I, I feel like I feel like something like this, it really felt minor, like it was really, really not like it was pain. And I knew that it would be there and I knew that it would go away. And. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think I would get numbed up again. I mean, except for something that was you know longer and more more significant. It took you know it took them fifteen twenty minutes of drilling, I guess. I think that bracing for the blow makes it yeah, so much worse. Bracing for about, the blow, that's it. I knew yeah, you'd have a Doctor Philism for that. Here's the thing, Dan. <laughs> if you take out your teeth and put them in a glass, that doesn't make it refreshing water. That's. <laughs> uh, I I think bracing for the blow, not not blow the euphemism for cocaine. 
No, no, or a Hummer. <clears throat> How you doing? Um, I'm doing good. How are you? Good. I think um, I think you hear these stories, and I, I well, I was anecdotal, but supposedly like people who were in a car accident and like didn't know it was coming do better than somebody who has a second to think about it. You know, think about things where, or even think about things like a classic story again, like that story from the Steve Hagen book about when uh, the raccoon broke into his car and he thought it was a person. You know, there's something about the intentionality of the world and the expectations of you that make that stuff so much worse. The fact that everybody's making this about, oh, damn, what is it? You like pain? Well, like to even make it, to even present it in that way says so much more about you, the person who says that, than it does about you, Dan. It's like, there's so many assumptions tied up in that that are, that are, that are worth teasing out, you know? First of all, this idea that, I mean, just this whole idea of just even saying the word dentist makes some people freak out. That's a really like a yeah. uh, trigger word I yeah. think, for some people. And it's just, it's just weird because, I mean, there's experiences that we all have been habituated to believe have to be a certain way. And it's going to sound nuts for me as somebody who hasn't, you know, it's fine for Merlin because he's never had his teeth drilled. But <laughs> and it, really, it really is fine. It really is fine. But, but um, can't believe you never had a teeth drill. Fluoride, dude. Fluoride. That and uh, you know, I, I switched to Colgate now. I don't do the crest. I can't. I can't have the crest anymore. It's too sweet. I don't like it. I like Colgate. I like Colgate. But fluoride in the water probably helps. But um, why am I keep thinking of this? Um, I think I must be getting the name wrong. I, I want to say John Locke, but it involves from from, Lo- from Lost. You mean or the original John Locke? No, I, I think you're thinking of uh, Telly Savalas. Oh, are you with the finger with the weird finger? Yeah, that's right. Fing- fingertips. That's that. Uh, they may be giant song. I, um, John Locke had this, uh, I think it was Locke. It was somebody talking about free will and saying like, imagine that somebody wakes up in a room, you know, and it's this great thing and he can, he feels like he's there and maybe he's with his best friend. And if he never knew that the door was locked, like, was he really in the room? Cause he wanted to be, I'm butchering this metaphor, but, um, I think there's something about intentionality and, and if, if you like determinism or decision-making or mm. whatever you want to call it, uh, agency, if you like. That, that, that changes a lot of this stuff. It's, there's something that makes it so much worse, like when somebody's doing it to you. And, and, and the, the person who goes, oh, damn, you like pain. Well, like, that's because there's this assumption out there that there's this phalanx of dentists who can't wait to harm you. Instead of going like, well, there's this thing that's going to happen in an office with lights, and it could turn out a lot of different ways. You know what I mean? I know yeah. that, sound, that sounds reductive and silly, but, like, there's just – it sound, it, the reason it sounds silly is because you have so many assumptions tied up in all of these different things. Um, and I, I'm with you. I mean, I wouldn't go do my own surgery or I wouldn't turn into some kind of like daredevil character or anything like that. But the really, the really interesting thing about what you did is not necessarily that you defy the dentist by – and I have to imagine, first of all, in some ways that Novocaine is in large part also for them. I think I think it's like booze on a on an airplane. Right. I think I'm really sure there, there are probably the dentists. There are probably dentists who, who wouldn't have done this if I'd wanted them to. I had a good good relationship with this guy. I've known him for years. He's a really nice guy. Really, you know, our age, mm-hmm. smart. Oh, just for litigious reasons too. I imagine. Yeah, maybe. I mean, well, maybe. Well, like, oh, why? Oh, I didn't know it hurt that much. Like, <laughs> why didn't you make me do it? You know. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I think it, I think it's super interesting, and I think that the the lesson here is really different from the lesson people would would probably want to take away from it. Maybe there's an even deeper lesson I'm missing. But to me, this is not a lesson about how how sitting on a cushion for a little while every day will make it easier for you to to go to the dentist without pain. That's maybe a tertiary point. I mean, to me, the more primary point is like getting to a place where it doesn't seem weird to not be scared of something, right? And, right. and there's again, there's such a distinction here 
between all these different flavors of fear, anxiety, uh, you know, deliberate exposure, carelessness. There's all these different angles to this. It's it you know, but to act like you know, not getting not getting Novocaine is the same thing as like jumping off a building is is not obviously not accurate. You know, you're assuming a certain amount of risk here, um, but. Like what's the like you say? What's the worst thing that can happen? You're not you're not out in the in the middle of the woods with right. like Frontier Joe, you know, yeah. with his big pincers, you know, Stinky Pete's not grabbing his pickaxe and swinging at you. I mean, you're you know, I don't know. I I I think that stuff is so huge. And the more I think about it, I always come back to these ideas of habit. You know, like you like for you, like you meditate because it's a habit. It's a thing you do. Like just like if you like brushing your teeth, right? It's just something that's part of what you do. You don't sit and go like, I wonder if I'll brush my teeth today. It's hopefully it's like something that you do. And you actually, and you said previously, you're you're a brusher. You were you you brush too hard, I believe you said. That would, well, I don't know if I brush too hard, but I, too I, much, too much, too too enthusiastic. Twice a day. Uh huh. Do you get porn about it? Once a day. Do you get porn about it? Do I get porn about? Um, yeah, can you, I mean, obviously, they probably exist. Is there like? Is there like? Do you get like like? I don't like get that. that. Right? No, it's, it's purely prophylactic, right? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <clears throat> Prophylactics. Um, but the. Think, what am I thinking of here? I mean, you can almost call it the habit of fear, right? Th- this notion of going like, well, first of all, anything that I don't know about, I should assume is, is, a, is a, a risky threat. Yeah. And anything that I've heard could be dangerous is certainly going to be a risky threat. And all that, so when you take all of those one step at a time, <clears throat> there's, nothing, like, there's nothing stupid or not sensible about that. But it's when you create this unintentional chain of, of dependencies between all those different things, that's when you get into the crazy. And that's when you get into like waking up one day and going like, you know, the classic example here, my teeth now hurt so much because I didn't go to the dentist, right? And now that becomes a different kind of dumb fear. Like now, you know what I mean? And now it's so much worse than it was before. And now you really, really, really don't want to go to the dentist because in some ways now, now you've really got something to be scared of. Do you know what I mean? That, that um, entropy yeah. kind of caught up yeah. with you. But it, it started with something as simple as hearing, and then, <laughs> and then now years later, you're, you're freaking Shane McGowan, you know, and that's a bummer. So I mean, I, I think that that the it's really easy to get on one end of that spectrum or the other and go, wow, that's really silly. But I think if most of us are honest with ourselves, we'll admit that we we forged a lot of those chains, you know, Marley like, <laughs> one at a time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whether we realized it or not, we allowed ourselves, we accepted another link into this little chain of fear that we were forging. Boy, there's so many titles here. Somebody getting all of these? I'm getting a few of them. Yeah. Does that does that comport for you? No, it totally does. I think people are well, just back to what you were saying earlier, there's there's this preconceived notion that pain should be avoided at all costs, that that you it's right to be afraid of that kind of thing. And we go to great lengths in this society to distract ourselves and uh prevent ourselves from not it, it, the bigger issue isn't just let's not feel any pain because really nobody wants to feel any pain but it's let's not feel anything or let's not feel any boredom or let's not let's consistently be distracted that's the implicit message yeah. i mean you okay so that is the deep much deeper issue you and you nailed it which is the, this tacit demand that we all that you're you're crazy for not trying to paper over that that, you know, you know what I mean. You didn't join in on the chorus, right? For for that, and and that's I think that's I, I mentioned to you offline that, that I was listening to those Alan Watts some yeah. of his lectures, and I posted a little bit. I told you this one. Like I woke up and uh, I was listening to this. Um, 
put my daughter to bed early and I did that dumb thing where I got like the classic like 7.30 nap. Like the worst oh, nap. Oh, that's the worst. I know. Falling asleep at 7.30 is like and the worst. And then the whole thing. next day you're messed up. Well, that, of course, for me, that means I'm usually up somewhere between 9.30 and like midnight. And so I was up and I was listening to these and just kind of laying there, you know, trying to go to sleep. And, uh, and I was so excited about this one thing. I actually hopped out of bed and I went and I posted it on my stupid Tumblr. But it's this great audio bit, very, very short, like a two-minute thing from one of his talks that really struck me. And the example he gives, and he does it so much better than me because he's from England. He sounds really cool. But uh, the late Alan Watts, uh, wow, was he ever a smart guy. I mean, people yeah, have their problems great. with he's him, but guy. he's but he's like a legitimately smart guy. Like yeah. he didn't just sit there and go blah blah something something Buddhism. Like he he'll sit there and do you chapter and verse on like what this particular you know Theravada group the the what is it? There's the three. Um, I want to always get these wrong, Dan. The um, the three. I'm not even gonna try. I wrote them down, but now I've already forgotten them. But anyway, he's a really smart guy. And this example he gives is: imagine that uh, you begin life by being pushed off a precipice, you know, a cliff. You're like Wile E. Coyote falling down and you suddenly grab onto you this rock because you decide that it can help you. And then you realize the rock's not helping you. And like, and it's like, that is, that is so much like what attachment is about. Yeah. It's like you grab this thing because you've convinced yourself that it's the thing that's going to save you, even though it's really just making you, it's just giving you something to hold onto while you fall. And, um, I don't know. There's just something that I thought was so illuminating about that. And just talking about how, you know, we see ourselves when you talk about, this may be from a different one of his talks, but when you talk about something like you go in there and, you know, I think what you, you didn't say this, but I think you're getting at something he gets at, which is I am not my feelings. I am not my thoughts per last time. Yeah. Right. That th- These are all things that are, that are there. And like, once I, once I am, am just slightly temporarily egoless enough to understand that I am not, my thoughts and I are not the same thing that thinking a thought doesn't make it real and let alone making it me. That once you do that, a lot of things start to change. And it's not nearly as goofy as it sounds. It's, it is actually, though, as profound as it sounds. And I think that's kind of, it's kind of what you're – I think – I don't want to overanalyze. No, no, no. You're, you're getting there. Yeah. But you're, but, but you're saying, yeah, this, the, there's, there's pain here, and it may even be my pain, but the pain is not is not equal to like two equal signs, you know, programming equivocation. Like <laughs> pain does not equal equal Dan. <laughs> <laughs> right I'm, now I'm feeling pain now the pain is gone it's a thing I'll feel for a while just yeah. like just like for a while I felt not scared because I didn't go to the dentist well but it sure kept coming up didn't it <laughs> right but you go there anyway I, worst episode ever but I think it's I think it's I think it's I think it's super interesting and, and a lot of that Alan Watts stuff boy I can really recommend that um, they're really costly to buy they sell them on CDs and they're really oh, really yeah. expensive like 600 bucks but and they ain't 600 bucks worth of good, but they are pretty good. Uh, and Pierce, I mean, Pierce has a question for you in, in yes. the chat room. He says, ask Merlin how you're supposed to break out of that, that meaning the, the fear anticipation thing. He says, I'm completely aware that I'm irrationally afraid of the dentist, but when I get in the chair, I automatically tense up. Um, I think there's, uh, thank you, Pierce. Thank you for the, thank you for the question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, hit yourself with a hammer. No, the, I think that I think one thing you can do if you if you if you're wimpy like I am, you could try. I think what's called desensitization. I mean, there's a whole thing you can go through with a therapist where you could like it's the whole classic thing of like, well, if you're scared of snakes, like first hold a string, and then you know what I mean, and you just, like slowly desensitize yourself. I wonder if on some level though, I mean, it depends on how long it's been since he's gone. I mean, one thing might be to go just go talk to the dentist and go there. It's just that, that the problem is you've got a Gordian knot. 
you know, and Alexander famously, the way that he undid the Gordian that was cutting it in half with his giant ass sword, right? I mean, that's the ultimate life hack. The problem <laughs> is, if you're, think about, but seriously, think about a problem you've got in terms of being like a big a tangled spool of yarn, you know? Like, why are you going to try and unravel it like a little bit at a time? Or are you just going to like cut it open? Or, or do you even really need the yarn? <laughs> Could you just get some other yarn? Right? Is that a dumb example? Absolutely. But it's really true. Like, how much do you need that anxiety? Well, if you don't really need it, then you have to ask yourself, like, what, what would it take for me to just, what if you did run into the storm? So but again, speak? again, so look, okay, hang, step, on, no, hang step, on a second. Step, Let me stop you for one. Step, Let me stop you for one second. I would say something else to him. I would say to him, he's then trying to avoid an emotion. And that, that's never the right solution. The solution isn't to avoid feeling anxious. The solution isn't to avoid tensing up. The, the solution is to say, okay, I'm going to be present for whatever it is that I feel. I'm not saying go in there and don't get Novocaine. I'm saying if you feel apprehension, say this is what apprehension feels that's a like. Good, that's a good point. And just it's sit a, there and feel it as opposed to the, again, this, I don't know if this is a Western thing, or, but this is how I was raised is that you don't, you shouldn't have any bad feelings. Only have the good ones. And neutral feelings are okay. But definitely don't have the bad ones. The bad ones are bad. Don't have those. Only have the good feelings. So I, if I'm feeling tense or if I'm feeling anxiety, get rid of that. Push that away. Do something. Give me some medicine, whatever it is to make that go away. Give me that so that I right. don't have to feel this way. And, he, and, and that's a natural thing. This is what people are born wanting to do is avoid feeling those things. The other approach, the approach that I would suggest is – Say, okay, maybe I'm going to feel that way. And when you're feeling it, be present for it. Look at it. Look at it straight away and say, I'm feeling fear or anxiety or whatever it is that you're feeling. What does it feel like to feel tension? What does it feel like? Well, my shoulders are tight. Uh, uh, my palms are sweaty. Whatever. Be present for it and look at it. And th there, there's a greater chance that if you do that and you can do that with clarity, that you'll have a choice about it then or the next time. That it be oh that feeling again. I know what that is. That's anxiety. I, I, I realize I don't need to feel that way, and it it, it lifts potentially. That's really good. It's really good, and actually, it's it's actually kind of it's a thousand times better than my stupid advice was going to be. Um, especially because it's it routes around the the basic problem of something like that desensitization thing. You know, it's one reason I have to tell you one reason I love cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, that I, f I find it really so muscular and sane and practical is it it's like like who cares whether your father liked you <laughs> that's that's not your problem right now right, <laughs> right, right. you know what i mean cbt is so great because it's like you know, actually you know what you don't need to talk about your feelings that's fine like your problem your problem is you're you're talking too much about your feelings your problem is your feelings have now gotten in the way I'm, this is a separate separate track but that's why i love cbt is it like unless you have an organic problem like a seriously organic like chemistry problem that cannot be solved through behavioral change on your own and certainly people have that absolutely but you know th ask yourself if some of this is a, is a behavior problem and so i think your solution is actually way smarter because because i was going to say really that desensitization thing i'm not a therapist obviously i'm not in anything i have a computer but the <laughs> right do we need a disclaimer on this show that neither of us are qualified <laughs> to dispense uh, <laughs> advice to other people do we need that we should probably say that yeah. at the top of every show say mm -hmm. say it in song <laughs> There's a lot of things that I don't know. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> I am not a lawyer, and I am not a mechanic, and I am not a doctor, and I am not a person who did much besides go to liberal arts school. 
But I do know this. I may not be a smart dog. But um, that's the problem, though, is, is a lot of these solutions and not so far off all that BS life hacks, third generation life hacks stuff. What would we call that? 3GLH? That's not very good. Um, is that you really are medicating a symptom in some ways, right? And so it, it's, it, is, it is a Gordian knot style approach in some ways to, 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 to be there for that because otherwise you really are just over-medicating your reaction. Do you know what I mean? It's, oh, it's, yeah. like, it's yeah. almost like trying to find like a, a, a less painful needle instead of going, well, is there a way you can get to a point where a needle won't bother you? Because nobody likes needles, but is that something that you can you know, be okay with? And is thinking about it a lot helping? Is it you know is another thing. So as far as the dentist thing, um, we know, gotta we gotta get you in there. We gotta get some of your teeth drilled just so you can go through it. We'll do I'll one. Do we'll do one with the Novocaine on one side. We'll do one without. I'm not normally a competitive guy, but now I kind of feel like I want to beat you. So that's I weird. Think I'm not yeah, I'm not only not gonna do Novocaine. I'm gonna do it myself. <laughs> while while I'm doing, I don't know, maybe singing like a Gilbert and Sullivan song or something. Oh wow, that would be so good. <laughs> it's we good stuff. Should, we should literally, literally start over the whole okay. thing. Do you, want, do you have time for that? Yeah, sure. We should just, you want to start over? Yeah. I'd start over. Okay. <laughs> or we could give Jim like six hours of editing work. Yeah. I don't know. It seems it seems based on the feedback that we get, the shows that you think are the worst are the ones that we get the most positive feedback <sighs> from. Why did you say that? Because you you are your own. I worst, had a system that worked. You're your own worst critic, is why. No, you're my own worst. <laughs> Let me start over. Yeah. Um. Hey, man, what's up? Hey, awesome week. What's it like out there this week? Fifty-one degrees and rainy. Boop ba doop ba doop. Um, you ever been mistaken for a homeless person? <laughs> And so the man is homeless, and he's making a face like this. And my wife, Camille. And uh, I think that habit thing's huge, though, dude. I got to tell you, whether it's the running thing or the writing thing or the whatever thing, um, the, the, the <laughs> I, I, I've become a bit of a pill about – I know I misquote people sometimes, but I've, I've become a bit of a pill about um, continually, overly – like misquoting and misattributing a quote, it kind of makes it makes me a little crazy sometimes. So, um, turns out that uh, that <laughs> <laughs> turns out that Aristotle <laughs> quote about we are what we habitually do or whatever, which I've used in talks. I think it's in the inbox zero talk. It's totally not Aristotle. It's like Will. I think it's Will Durant from like the history of. Oh, I think it's pronounced Duranty. Oh no! Now wait. I think you're thinking Mrs. Calabash. <laughs> now, Calabash is the kind of pipe that Sherlock Holmes has. I used to work at Holmes.com, and then Sherlock is the one that got stolen by Apple. Is that right? My friend Mike had a dog named Sherlock. That's a sweet name. I had a turtle named Sherlock for two days. You know, they don't eat just grass. <laughs> stinky, stinky turtle. I wonder where you're going Stinky with that. turtle in the side yard. Woo, man. That was a fragrant turtle. How's Sherlock? Not good, Mom. Not good. The habit thing's huge, though, because it's 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 so huge that it's 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 I can easy it's easy to sound like I'm overstating this, but you just see the effects of it so hugely. Once you do anything twice and then a third time and then keep doing it, it just it makes such a difference. And I I, I keep thinking about it. You know, what's you're a great talking example? about creating creating new habits. Well, specifically in this instance, I'm talking about. I think it's a little cynical to go. Oh well, you know, it's, <laughs> that's fine for Dan. He's got a cushion. 
He's got all kinds of weird to sit on. It's yeah. Dan, you know? I don't have that. I don't have that. My, my employer bought me this chair. That's fine for Dan. But think about that, though. Think that, I mean, like for myself, as I, as, I, as I ease my way closer to this supposed meditation practice, I, um, <laughs> how do you, you're either it's a zero or a one, right? It's like, it's like Dennis Hopper in Apocalypse Now, right? You can't land on a fresh. <laughs> but I think um, in your case, it's been years of that to where, again, it's, for you, meditation is like brushing your teeth, right? It's not something where you have to go, oh, here I go. I better go find time to brush my teeth. You know what I mean? Yeah. I better you gotta, go find you gotta time. You got to do it. You got to do yeah, it. Yeah. I got to f- go find time to blast a dookie. No, you just blast a dookie because <laughs> it's part of what you do. <laughs> oh, it's gone now. It's all over. But um, the writing thing, seriously, if you write for three days in a row, you feel like such a different person than not writing three days in a row that it's, it's impossible to even explain it. You're almost describing like a, like a writing practice in, in yes. that sense that you and build that's exactly it what Natalie Goldberg, Natalie Goldberg in particular calls it that. Somebody who she studied with Katagiri Roshi at the uh, Minnesota... Uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota Zen Center. And that, this, her book is essentially, it's full of great practical stuff, but at the heart of it, it is really about how writing is like meditation. And again, to repeat something of hers that I've said numerous times, you know, you don't, you don't meditate, you know, for a reason. You meditate because you meditate and you write because you write. Those, these, those, this is very much why this stuff is kind of hard to explain to people who, who aren't doing it yet. You know, there's maybe different advice that'll help you want to get excited about wanting to write. But once you do write, then you'll get that. And, and in your case, Dan, I think – But I, so the, the, the thing that is useful in all of this for anybody is um, – let's, let's take it and turn it. So if there's something that you are being kind of bad about, well, ask yourself sort of as in uh, S1E15, ask yourself like is there something here that has unintentionally become a habit and, or an anti-habit if you like? I'm not going to call it an anti-pattern because I'm tired of getting an email from people. But, um, <laughs> but, but it, could, could this be <laughs> – God, you know the Christopher Alexander fans? They're like Roddenberry fans. So uh, the um have you developed something that's <laughs> unintentionally become a habit that you you had no idea? And now it's so much a habit that all I have to do is go and your your shoulders start munching up. Do you know what I mean? So I mean, so how do you how do you how do you amend that? Well, I think, Dan, first of all, you have to realize that it's there. That's that's step zero of any kind of mindfulness, is I think being the awareness. Right of of of, <laughs> of you being there and a thing being there. Right, you know I've I mean I've said from the beginning with this life hacks junk that the 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 step for first step for any life hack to work is realizing what problem there is that needs to be solved. I think one one way people go horribly astray with a lot of self help is not even realizing what problem they want to solve. And boy, that that to me that just becomes that's an opiate. Is like once you are inhaling a lot or consuming a lot of self help that you have no intention of doing anything with. I mean, you might, you might as well just be watching different strokes, you know? You're going to get the same amount of usefulness out of it, you know? Um, and so if you are a fearful person, let's say you're fearful of dentists. Well, I think you're right. I think your advice, let's see also Dan's advice on that, which is, to, I think, first, be there for the way you feel about that. And instead of trying to fix the, the, the feelings that you have as a result of that, just be in the room with yourself for that thing that you feel really bad about. But then the CBT part of that, I mean, to go to the next level, the new habit to build is to say, when I feel, let's make it easy, the physical sensations. If I feel my butt seizing up, if I feel, in my case, like my shoulders, I feel this kind of tension sometimes if I'm nervous about something. Um, has anybody ever said to you, for example, hey, that's weird, you, you like twitch your leg a lot, like in meetings, you know what I mean? Or you tap your pencil or mm. you've probably got to tell about when you're anxious about something. Maybe you're just thinking, maybe you got to poop. I don't know. But, but 
be aware that there's something very physical that, that may be mm, like the pollution of your kind of emotional smokestack, right? There's this thing that's, that's, that's causing these results. And I, I think this is where the breathing, like you said with the Bonte G stuff, this really is about the breathing where you understand that like just do nothing but notice that you're breathing differently now when that happens. And do you remember me saying that thing to you about how when I go home, I take off my headphones, I look at the picture of my kid and blah, 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 blah. You know, the other thing I do now is I, um, I take a different route to go home now. Don't be creepy. And I, I walk <laughs> up. I, this is, is going to sound so stupid, but the thing I do now, I, I, and it's a habit, right? This is actually a thing I do now, which is um, I walk up a hill a block or two before where my house is. So I go up the hill and then cut over so I don't have a hill right before I get home. I'm basically going downhill to arrive at my front door. Sounds so stupid. When I arrive home out of breath and my daughter immediately wants me to be Victor the train, I'm probably not going to be as into it because I'm like out of breath. I want to get a water, you know. But if I arrive home and like I stop for a minute and I go and take like three big breaths, not because I'm nervous, not because I'm anything, but I'm not out of breath. This, are you getting this, Dan? That sounds dumb. Yeah. No, it but, doesn't. But if I stop and I go, I am home. And I kind of say that in my head. Um, and for all you people who think this is fruity but want a solution, well, listen. When I do that, and I look at that picture of her and I go, this is, this is not just a dorky thing. This is, this is actually like a life thing. And I stop there. It's a completely different experience when I walk inside. I'll take off other stuff. I take off my backpack. I take it off. I'll take off my jacket sometimes before I even walk in the door. And I say, I am now, I am now mentally prepared for like what I want to be doing now. Not just what my daughter expects of me, but like what I want to do now, which is I want to immediately be Victor the train as soon as I walk in the door without having to go, daddy's out of breath from walking up a hill. Right. And that, that took a little bit of thinking ahead of time. It took starting early enough to remember I'm going to have to walk an extra block to do that. I'm not sure I've explained this well, but that seemingly circumlocal way that I did that has actually kind of made my afternoons a little bit better. And it, and it started as an observation that I was frustrated that my daughter was yelling at me to be a train. And it ended with a change in my own habit that it sounds really stupid and trivial and probably a little bit aspy, but it has helped me a lot. And, you know, it's those little dumb steps that sound really stupid, I think, are how you make your life better. It's arguably why, why life hacks can be such a great thing. It's because there's a, a huge impact out of a relatively modest change. But you can't make that modest change until you understand what it is you're actually trying to solve. Was I having a hard time because I was out of breath? Was I having a hard time because I wanted to get a drink of water? Was I having a hard time because I had a bad kid? Yeah. Well, no, it was because I wasn't being mindful. Yeah, but that, that's, could, that's, that's the step, though. It's, it's the, the people don't typically realize that they're not being mindful. Oh, no, not, not at all. And I mean, in, in a way, I... Um, I, I even as hard as I am on myself, I don't think I was mad at my kid. I mean, I genuinely like to see her when I get home. It's the best thing in the world. But I sure enjoy it a lot more now <laughs> by just remembering, well, first of all, I set an alarm that says, hey, you got to be home in an right. hour. Start right. winding down. Like little stupid stuff like that. And whatever, I'm not like super dad or anything. But that's, that's another one. I mean, God, I, so if we're going to be practical, like for me, remember how I told you I don't like to drive in San Francisco? It's so annoying. Well, our public transit is also not any particular treat. Is it just but, the traffic or the bad drivers or what? Oh, it's really – there's way more cars than spaces in San Francisco. Uh, it's just – you know, it's a place where a lot of people want to be and a lot of them are rich and have cars and it's extremely stressful. People drive crazy. Um, people – well, like anywhere, like Boston or anywhere. Like people no, drive – Boston is terrible. Boston and Miami are like two cities where oh. I'm just like – I don't know how anybody lives there. I mean just the driving is so insane. It's horrible. 
LA is annoying, but it's got a logic to it. Like Boston is just mental. I don't Sandy's know. Sandy's anybody... out in LA, isn't he? Oh God. Have you ever been in his car? No, man. Have you? Oh, God, it's like it's man, like if a... I if I was invited into his car, I don't think he'd get me out of there. I would do it. You're oh. telling me. Oh my God. It's like a, it's like an upholstered roofie. What does he drive? God, I imagine it's gotta be the best car in the world. It's so it smells so good. What it just because it smells like him? It's it's like him in leather. It's really nice. I think it's it's and German. like Dracar. Does he use Dracar? Car Noir? Yeah. Yeah, he does. He does. Well, I'm downstairs. I think upstairs he uses Aramis. Um, that's one of the Three Musketeers. No, wait. Now, now Eminem Mars owns Three Musketeers. Is that right? <laughs> and Michael York was D'Artagnan. But he was also in Cabaret with Liza Minnelli. And Liza what, kind Minnelli of car, what kind of car is it, though? Can you say? I don't know. I don't know if I can say. I, I mean, I know. I've been in it. I've been in it <laughs> a couple times. It's really nice. And he keeps it clean. I think he has a detail. It's really nice. Guy like him would never bother to clean it himself. He'd have a person to do that. He's pretty busy. He's pretty busy. You know, Scott's tall and he's very comfortable in Adam's car. It's a very, very nice it sound car. Sounds like a great car. It's really, it's... No, leave, mean, it, any, leave it to Sandy to have a great car. Tell you I what. know, I know. It's like, but is any car really good enough for Adam? You know? Probably not. God, I love him. I don't like seeing him on the highway. That makes me nervous. <laughs> I worry. I worry. Uh, which, you know, when we get done here, could you call him and make sure he's wearing a seatbelt? I know he's busy, but he'll take your call, right? Oh, he'll take my call, but I don't want to text him because it might, you know, like right. the, the vibration. You know what? You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. The vibration would upset him. That's a good point. That's a good point. So uh, how you doing? You having a good week? That's a crazy week out here. Yeah. This is the last show. The next show that we do, I'll be in Austin. This is the last last Florida-based show we'll ever do. Are we stacked? Um, let me come back in a minute to, to, to be humane and hear your story. Do we need to stack these? No. We're done. Are we having a week off? Uh, we, we, may, we may need to... To do it on maybe a Wednesday, but all that we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll do, do that in the after of. dark. Let's do we'll best of. We'll do a best of. Oh, that'd be a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Jim's not moving, right? No. Hmm. I got him right where I want him. Does Florida have 110 or 220? What do they do there? It's I4 and 220, 95. 221, whatever it takes. I'm not a big I4 fan. 440. I got a lot of respect for 75, though. What about 10? How do you feel about 10? You like 10? Nah, I don't like 10. I don't like it at 75. I like I the like, turnpike. I I don't like Jacksonville. I, I just like the it. Turnpike. You like the Turnpike? I like their shirts. You ever notice their shirts? What the are you talking about? The sh- shirts. The shirts. The shirts on the on the Turnpike. You ever seen the shirts? The tur- the workers wear shirts. They have cool old school like Florida Turnpike. Like they're like Hawaiian shirts. They're really cool. I never never seen that. I thought about killing one. I figured nobody'd miss them. We have the E pass, so we just fly right through it. You guys don't have unions there, do you? Unions not in Florida. Let's talk offline. We should button this up. All right, let's button it. I love you. Love you too.